Hi everyone, welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast with me, Phil Saker. We're continuing the series on the book of Romans today, looking at Romans chapter 4, verses 1 to 25, and thinking about how Abraham, that example of faith, is an example for us. And it is those who have faith, like he did, who are really the, the children of Abraham, who belong to God's people. So that's what we're going to be looking at today, Romans chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. And you might like to have that passage open and have a read of it even before listening to the sermon, just so that you, you can follow along. And to let you know that uh, there was no new uh, course video on the YouTube channel this week. Uh, as you know, I finished the Firm Foundations course last week, but there was a Bible study on Wednesday afternoon. I do a regular Bible study on the, the YouTube channel, so do join in if you can, as that's um, a good way of just study, learning to study the Bible together. And uh, there will be another course starting, I hope, next week, and uh, I'm planning to start a series on holiness. More to come, watch this space. So thanks so much everyone for joining me, and don't forget, if you can support the podcast, then there's a link down below, and if you can um, give me a, a review or rating, if your podcast provider allows you to, that would really help me as well and help other people find the podcast. Thanks so much, everyone. God bless. And I'll see you again soon. Over the last few weeks, we've seen the tension in between faith and works. That is the tension between being righteous by believing and trusting in God and being righteous by simply trying hard to obey the law. And we've seen that those are two different and mutually exclusive kind of paths. And we're going to look today particularly about what it means to live by faith and what it looks like to actually have faith, uh, to trust in God, what it looks like to be righteous that way. And we're going to look at the example of Abraham which is where Paul moves on to in, uh, in uh, Romans chapter 4, which is what we're looking at today. Now, why does Paul, in his argument, then move on to Abraham? Well, bear in mind, again, that he was addressing uh, Jews, the Jews of the day, and the Jews, that their identity was very much that they, they considered themselves children of Abraham. That's what uh, they said about themselves. So let me quote you, for example, uh, John the Baptist. This is from uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptising, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. So there we go. The, the Jews and particularly the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, you know, the very moralistic, legalistic ones, they considered themselves to be children of Abraham and they thought that, meant, that gave them a sort of special status. They said, well, we're children of Abraham. Of course we're good. Of course we're righteous. Of course we're godly. You know, we are children of Abraham, and that was what they thought of themselves. So that's why Paul turns to Abraham to continue the argument that he's making about what it means to live by faith. So he says, uh, What shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? 
And so turning to Abraham, and he says, our forefather according to the flesh. Noting that he says our forefather, because Paul was, of course, himself Jewish. Um, but he says, our forefather according to the flesh. You know, he is, yes, we may be physical descendants, but, but what does, or what did he discover? And he says, what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited, credited to him as righteousness. So he says the Bible says, and, and as we've already seen, you know, the Bible says is the, the important thing. That was what the, the Jews were given, you know, the Old Testament scriptures. They were sort of stewards or custodians of the scriptures. That's the most important thing. Now, and for Paul and for Jesus and for all of the, the, the writers of the Bible, now, what the scriptures say settles the matter. So that's what he wanted to, to look to. So he says, what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So he said that the belief was credited to him as righteousness. The belief was kind of reckoned to him as belonging to him, as his own righteousness. You think about it, I don't know if you've ever had to sell a car, for example, but you know when you have to fill out those little change of ownership slips and you have to submit yours to the DVLA and the other owner has to submit it and it means that legally speaking the owner changes. So the car is then reckoned to then belong to the new owner. And it, I think it's that kind of sense that's going on here. Paul is saying that when Abraham believed God, then it was, it was reckoned, it was credited to him that this righteousness belonged to him. So that's what Paul says. And then he, he moves on and he uses this analogy that we saw last week a little bit, the difference between a wage and a gift. So he says, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So Paul says that wages are, are given because we've earned them. You know, of course they are. You do a day's work, you get, you get paid for that. That's only fair. That's the contract. That's just the way it, it works. But a gift is different. And it's like the difference between works versus faith. You know, when we're trying to earn God's approval by um, doing good works, by, by obeying, doing our best to obey the law, then Paul says that's like the, the wages approach. But the, uh, the, the alternative approach is just receiving it as a gift by faith. And he then says, uh, talks about David and says David agrees with this as well. Uh, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And he quotes Psalm 32, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven. Uh, blessed is the one who, uh, who sin the Lord will never count against them. So he says that David agrees as well. And I think he puts this in just to kind of bolster the case. He's saying, look, it's not just Abraham who was the you know, the Jews looked to as the greatest of their sort of ancestors. But he says also, David, you know, the great king of Israel, that again, the one who the Jews would have looked to. He said, Abraham and David both 
they agree and they agree in this matter that it is faith that is the important thing. And that's why I think he quotes from Psalm 32. He said it's blessed to know that your sins are forgiven. He says, look, even David knew that his, he needed sins, that, that he, he was a sinner, that he needed to be forgiven. Now, even David knew that he was a sinner that needed to be forgiven. David wasn't trying to say that he was good enough for God just by his own you know, righteousness. Even David knew that he needed to be forgiven. And it's, it's knowing the blessing of sins forgiven, you know, even though he didn't deserve it. That was what David and, and Abraham both agreed on. It was faith at the end of the day that was, that was thing depending on God and depending on God's promises, his mercy and so on. It's that faith that made the difference. So Paul then moves on to talk about the contrast between faith and the law. And he starts by moving back to circumcision. You remember that circumcision was the sign which God gave to the Israelites as um, a means of showing that they belonged to, to him and belonged to the, the people of Israel. And um, Paul says, is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. And he says, was it after he was circumcised or before? It wasn't after, he was before he was circumcised. So what Paul says is that Abraham, it was, uh, his faith was credited as righteousness before he was um, given the sign of circumcision. The, the, the belief came first and the sign of circumcision only came afterwards. And so Paul says he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So the circumcision was given as a, as a sign of the faith that he had. It wasn't given in place of the faith that he had, but because he had faith, he was given uh, this sign. And so um, Paul says in verse 12, he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So Paul says, if you want to be a child of Abraham, it's not about being circumcised, but it's about having his faith. That's what really matters. It's about having his faith. Well, that's what Paul says. And then he, he moves on to talk about the law and the promise. And um, he says that, again, talking about these two things, you know, um, as, as opposites, you know, it's kind of like saying that there are two ways of being made righteous, as we've seen, you know, there's the, through the law, through the means of trying to obey the law, or by grace, by, by faith. The two things, there's only two ways of trying to do it. One of them is wrong and one of them is, is right. And only one of them is right. And uh, this is what he says. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. 
So he's saying that there are these, there are only these two options. And he said, Abraham received this promise by faith, not through the law. It wasn't through his doing, you know, good works or, you know, trying to, trying on his own strength to obey God. It was actually through faith. And he says, even if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless because the law brings wrath. Where there's no law, there is no transgression. So what he says here is, look, that the two things are mutually exclusive. It's either faith or the law. It can't be both. That he says the law, it brings wrath. Do you remember we were looking at this a week or two ago and saying that the, the law, the scriptures were designed to make us conscious of our sin. Now, that's what he says about the law. And that um, where there's no law, there's no transgression. So he says, you know, the law makes us conscious of our sin. But where there isn't that, then, you know, we actually, there's no transgression. But what he's saying is that when we put our trust in the law, we make faith worthless because we are trusting effectively in ourselves rather than having faith in God. And that's what he means. That's why the two things are mutually exclusive. You know, it's either we trust in ourselves to be able to fulfill the law or we trust in God to give what we cannot do ourselves. It can't be both. And this is why it's so important to understand that we can never be righteous through the law. Because if we try to be righteous through the law, then we have to do it 100%, uh, 100% of the time. No, it can't be that we, we have a little bit of righteousness in ourselves, um, but, but not, not quite 100%. It can't be even 98% because that's not enough. Now, this is what James says in James chapter 2, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. This is what Paul is, is saying in all of this, this whole section of Romans, that we, we can never obey God enough just in our own strength because we are not good enough for it. We are corrupted by sin, as we've seen that nothing we do is as good as it should be. We could never obey God enough. So that's why if we, we think that we're obeying God through the law, we don't need faith because we think we are perfectly righteous in ourselves. But if we think of ourselves as sinners, then we need God's salvation. And that's exactly what Paul is saying, that we are all sinners. We all equally need God's salvation and we all equally need need Jesus uh, which is going to come on to a lot more in the next few chapters. So what does it mean to live by faith? Because you know living by faith doesn't doesn't mean doing nothing. You know that I, I don't know if you've uh, you seen one of these recently I, I haven't seen one recently they used to do it when I was younger that on the back of cereal boxes you know you could claim your free gift and you'd have to write off to, you know, collect the coupons and then write off and then you could claim your sort of free gift, uh, whatever it might be. But you actually had to believe, didn't you? You know, you had to trust that when you when they said claim your free gift, 
you had to trust that they meant it. You had to trust that if you collected the coupons and sent them off, they would send you the gift. And, and so, you know, that's the thing that we actually have to have faith, that faith isn't nothing, but faith means that we have to just trust in God's promises and that makes a difference. So what kind of difference does faith make? And that's what this last section is about, looking at Abraham. What does it mean to trust in, in God's promises? So um, Paul, he says, um, verse 16, Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. So Paul says that the promise comes by faith, and that is by grace. And we haven't thought much about grace as we've been going through Romans so far, but it's something that Paul will talk much more about. You know, and grace is God's mercy, his, his um, mercy to us, which is undeserved. And that's what grace is, really. It's God's undeserved kindness to sinners. That, you know, we are only saved by grace, not because we have in, in any way earned it, because we've done enough good works. You know, as we saw, we'd have to keep the law 100 percent, you know, 100 percent of the time if we were to earn salvation. And we can't do that. But we we trust in God's grace, his his mercy. That's what Paul is saying. And he says something which I think the Jews at the time would have found quite shocking, which is that um, he's the father of us all. You know, that Abraham is the father of those who have his faith. It's not about physical descent, but it's about whether we share the faith of Abraham. That's the, the important thing. That's what uh, what Paul is saying. And that would have been pretty shocking to hear. But think about it that, you know, you and I, we may be Jew or Gentile, um, whatever it may be. But we are children of Abraham if we share his faith. And that's a, a really lovely thought, I think. Um, so how did Abraham trust in God? Uh, remember that. If you're familiar with the, the story uh, of Abraham from um, back in Genesis, what happened was that he was a, an old man and God promised that he would become the father of many nations. He would have a son who would then become the, the father of a great nation. And uh, Abraham, you know, because he was old, uh, this would have been hard to, to achieve. And his wife also was, was old by that point. And this is what Paul is referring to when he says, um, as it is written, I've made you the father of many nations. Um, he is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Uh, and then he says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. Um, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. So Paul says that 
Abraham didn't trust in, in himself. He didn't trust in his own power to achieve God's promises. He didn't trust in his own body. And he said he reckoned himself as good as dead, you know, being 100 years old. And, and that doesn't mean that he was, you know, he thought, oh, I'm just, I'm just dead, I can't do anything. But the, obviously at, at that point, you know, biologically speaking, we know that we're past the point of bearing children. Uh, but, uh, but Abraham trusted in God and he trusted that God was able to do and fulfill what he had promised, not through Abraham's strength, but through God's power, the God who, who raises the dead even, through God who raises the dead. And I think this, what Abraham uh, did is a, is a picture of, of salvation. It says, Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, verse five, uh, sorry, chapter two, verses four and five, when I can find it here. Uh, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So that's the picture that we, it's like we're dead in transgressions. It's like we're dead in sin. No, we can't raise ourselves by our own power. No, we, we are dead in sin before we come to Christ. But God raises us up and gives us new life in Christ. That's how it works. Not that we, we are able to earn it, but that God in, in his grace, in his mercy, is able to give us new life and, and do that which we can't do ourselves. So Abraham, what Abraham did is, is a picture uh, for us that this is, this is how we are supposed to be as well. And this is why Paul says, um, this is why, sort of verse 22, this is why it's credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So Abraham's a model for us. No, we don't trust in ourselves, but we trust in, in God who raised Jesus from the dead. That it's not a, a sort of figurative thing that, you know, like as in the case of Abraham, that he considered his body to be dead. And, um, you know, that, but, but actually Jesus was, you know, physically dead and was raised to new life. And similarly, that, um, and Paul will come on to this in Romans, that, you know, we die with Christ and we're raised with him. And uh, we'll come on to what that means. But Abraham is like a, a, a model for us. He doesn't trust in himself, but trusted in God. And um, this is why Paul finishes. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So Jesus is the one who defeated death. And so that it is by believing in him that we um, overcome death. We overcome the, the deadness of sin, if you like, and then are raised to new life in Jesus Christ. Um, like I said, we'll come on to that. Uh, we will come on to what that means. But the big picture is that we mustn't trust in ourselves. We mustn't trust in our own power to obey the law, but must trust in God and just receive his grace, receive his promises, trust in that. Like Abraham did. 
And so that's how I wanted to, um, to, to finish today is really just by thinking about whether we are trusting in ourselves or whether we are trusting in God and in his promises. Because I think that it is possible to, unfortunately, even as Christians, to be trusting in ourselves, to be trusting in our own power to obey God rather than trusting in God and, and in his grace. Um, so some of the ways that we might do that is if we trust in our family heritage. So although we may not be Jewish, we may not say, well, Abraham is my father. We might still think, well, my family is a Christian family, therefore I must be doing all right because I'm from a Christian family. Uh, my, my dad has done um, quite a lot of our family tree. And uh, as you may have, have noticed, my surname Saker is uh, quite an unusual surname and it's because it was originally French from the Sacre and it was because my ancestors came over from um, from France fleeing, fleeing religious persecution. Now, they were Huguenots, they were Christian but they were unable to practice um, their their religion in in a Catholic country at the time. The, the uh, king was loyal to the Pope and so they they were persecuted and they had to flee at the time of the, the Reformation, about 500 years ago. Now, I know to, to say, well, I must be a Christian because my ancestors were Christian. You know, I think you can see how ridiculous that that would be. But I think we, it is a temptation to say, isn't it, that, well, I'm from a Christian family and so I must be, I must be doing all right. But the truth is, it, it's no good for me to say, well, my ancestors were Christian, so I must be, if I don't have their faith. You know that actually I must share their faith and I, I have to believe as they did and only then am I if you like their spiritual uh, descendant. I think it's also possible to trust in our sort of church heritage and to think well I go to a good church therefore I must be doing all right as a Christian. I remember in our old church we used to go to some years ago, there was um, a couple who, uh, an older couple who had been going to, uh, I think, Westminster Chapel when Martin Lloyd-Jones was preaching and they remembered Martin Lloyd-Jones's preaching. Now, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's a, a famous, I mean, he died quite a few years ago, but he, you know, he was a famous preacher from the 20th century. And, you know, I just think, imagine what it must have been like to to hear the preaching of someone who is hailed as a great preacher. But that doesn't give us any brownie points. You know, unless we have the faith of someone like Martin Lloyd-Jones or, or other preachers, it doesn't matter you know, which church we go to. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter if we don't have faith. You know, it means nothing. And again, I think it is possible to, to, to think that we are doing all right just by obeying the law ourselves and sadly I think there are many Christians today who think that you know it's just about how they obey the law that they're doing all right you know because they, they haven't done anything too bad they just you know um, they're doing a pretty good job of obeying the law so they think. Unfortunately that is also contradicting the Bible you know that's contradicting what Paul says here, that's contradicting what we know about the faith. Because we are, 
not to trust in ourselves and in our own obedience, but we are to trust in God. So what does it look like to live a life of trusting in God? It means that we should daily bring our sins to God and repent. Now we need to daily be confessing to God the ways that we fall short and asking for his help in living in accordance with his ways. You know, we need to be doing uh, what John Owen said, mortifying our sin, you know, putting to death our sin. John Owen had this memorable phrase, be killing sin or it will be killing you. That's what he said. And I think that that's, that's what we need to be doing is just daily recognising that there is still sin in us, coming to God in repentance and asking that he would help us. So we're not trusting in ourselves. We're not trusting in our own ability to keep his laws, but we are repenting of our sin, asking him for his help. And I think how we do that is we need to be daily reading the Bible, you know, reminding ourselves of God's standards, uh, reminding ourselves of you know, what he requires of us and reminding ourselves of the way that we, we fall short. And also just, just praying to him and asking that he would help us. And one of the things that I really recommend doing is just reading a psalm every day. As the psalms are like the Bible's prayer book and they, they really help put this into practice. You know, if you just read and, and pray a psalm every day, I think that really, really helps to get this. But I just wanted to finish on a positive note. And I just want to finish with some encouragement, which is that, you know, this is not to, to say that we need to go around discouraged, but actually this is a much more of an encouraging thing, knowing that, knowing that we can't do it ourselves, but we trust in God. Because actually then we're not limited by ourselves, but we are actually opening ourselves up to what God can do in us and through us. This is what Jesus says in uh, Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Isn't that amazing? Nothing will be impossible for you. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, now, if we just accept God's promises, if we trust in him, then we open ourselves up to what God can do. And it's far more than what you or I can do in our own strength. You know, God can raise the dead. That's the thing. It's, it's incredible to think God can raise the dead. And he is the one that we need to trust. So you won't be able to. You can't do it, but God can. That's the message. And that's the message that I want to leave us with. That is faith. We can't do it, but God can. Let's take a moment to pray and ask for his help in putting this into practice. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Abraham. And we thank you, Lord, that he lived by faith. He didn't trust in himself and his own strength, but he looked to you and to your power at work in him. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to have that same faith, to be, um, to not look to our own strength, but to look instead to yours, to not look to um, our own abilities, but to look to your power and your promises. And we pray that you would help us to daily live by faith, not trusting ourselves, but trusting in you who can raise the dead. And we pray for your blessing and your help as we do this every day. 
And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.